Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? I received a request to talk about flash memory from a hardware engineer, musician, and self-described total nerd via the iHeartRadio app talkback feature. Uh, That's that little microphone icon you would see if you were to navigate to the Tech Stuff podcast page on the iHeartRadio app. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds long there. And if you want me to include the audio in an episode, you can let me know. I always prefer opt-in rather than opt-out. This particular voice message did not ask for it to be used in an episode, so I'm just leaving it out to be on the safe side. But let's talk about flash memory. Now, one thing that we need to clear up is when we talk about flash memory, we're typically talking about data storage, you know, like, like a hard drive rather than talking about something like traditional computer memory, like RAM. Uh, RAM stands for Random Access Memory. Computer memory, as we typically define it, means a temporary storage system that holds data and instructions that a CPU or central processing unit 
needs when it's running a particular process. Computer memory is what saves a processor from having to retrieve specific information from long-term storage over and over. And without RAM, computers would be much, much slower than they are. And it's why some folks will say that one way to speed up your computer is to add more memory. Uh, it actually gets way more complicated than that, though, and I'm sure I'll talk about that in another episode. Maybe I'll do an episode about the the components in your machine that determine how quickly it runs, because there's a lot of there are a lot of factors. It's not just one thing. Also, one way that folks will describe RAM versus storage is to kind of think of it like human short-term memory versus long-term memory. We use short-term memory to handle something that's going on in the moment, such as let's say you meet someone for the first time and they introduce themselves and they give you their name. So you use their name as you talk to them. Uh, we then commit important stuff to long-term memory so that we can pull from that should we ever need to. Like remembering that person's name when you see them at a function three years later, then you don't want to look like a total jerk. By the way, I am really bad at long-term memory. I'm not great at short-term either, as it turns out. I kind of live in the moment. It's like the world is just constantly new and amazing to me. That's the way I, I prefer to think of it rather than I, I am really bad at remembering people's names. But flash memory typically behaves more like a hard drive than RAM does. It's a way to store information for more of a long-term solution. Flash drives are also known as solid-state storage devices. Uh, they use an all-electronic method to store data as opposed to traditional hard drives, which have moving parts like platters and read-write heads. Also, flash drives are non-volatile forms of storage. That means that the data stored on a flash drive is going to stay there even if the computer that the drive is, is connected to has been switched off. Stuff in RAM is volatile. So information stored in RAM is, is volatile memory that, or volatile data. That means that information will go bye-bye when you power your computer down. RAM requires power to continue to store information. That's not the case with flash storage or flash memory. Like a traditional hard drive, a flash drive will jealously cling onto that precious data. It just does so in a different way from traditional hard drives. All right, so let's do a quick rundown of how traditional hard drives work so that we can make this distinction. Now, I mentioned that a traditional hard drive has a platter and a read-write head. So you can kind of think of it similar to a turntable or record player and vinyl records. Only imagine that your turntable is able to not just play music on a record, it can also record music to a blank record. Now, with vinyl records, we record information in grooves, and a stylus or needle travels through that groove, and the physical vibrations the grooves transfer to that stylus get transformed into an electric signal, thanks to a tiny electromagnet, that then can be amplified and sent to speakers, and then we get playback. With traditional hard drives, we're not talking about physical grooves. Instead, we're using the read-write head, which is able to generate and detect magnetic fields. So it can align magnetic particles that are on the hard disk platter. And those particles, based on their alignment, can represent zeros and ones. You know, bits, the basic language of computers. This, by the way, 
is why you may have heard that you should keep powerful magnets away from computers. If that computer relies on any type of magnetic storage, a powerful magnet could change the alignment of the particles on that platter, and that would destroy the data stored on it. Uh, you could do that on purpose, too, in an effort to make an old hard drive unreadable, you know, to conceal whatever had been stored on the drive. We call this degaussing, and uh, it's an important step if you were to ever, like, retire a computer and you want to maybe donate it or sell it or, or give it away, chances are you want to make sure that anything that you had stored on that computer is well and truly gone. You don't want it to resurface at some point. It might have some sensitive information on there. So that's one reason you might want to degauss an old computer. But flash drives don't use magnetism to store data. So you could bring a powerful magnet near a solid state drive and you would not change a single bit of data that's stored on that device. So a flash or solid state drive isn't susceptible to degaussing. Uh, that's good and bad. Uh, it's bad only if you're trying to come up with a way to prevent someone from retrieving data that was once stored on that flash drive. You would have to take a different approach in order to do that. Now, the listener who left this request, and, and my apologies, but I, I don't actually have your name, mentioned that he was familiar with Flash from ages back and referred to EEPROM. Now, I'm assuming he means E-E-P-R-O-M, but he could have meant E-P-R-O-M. We'll cover both. So E-E-P-R-O-M stands for Electronically Erasable Programmable Read-Only Memory, and it is kind of um, a forerunner to Flash. It's sort of the the foundation that Flash would be built upon, although the two are distinct. So let's talk about read-only memory for a second because it's that's also important. Now, I already mentioned RAM. That's random access memory. RAM is volatile and it is rewritable, meaning you can read or overwrite data stored in RAM as much as you like. Read-only memory or ROM is different. As the name indicates, you usually can only read data from a ROM storage source, like a, a ROM microchip, but you aren't typically able to write new data to a ROM. With computers, we usually find very important basic level processes stored in ROM, such as the boot sequence for a computer, so that your machine goes through all the necessary steps to swing into working order. You wouldn't want to overwrite that stuff. These are the most basic instructions needed to make the machine work. If you're in the MAME or multi-arcade machine emulator scene, you might think of ROMs as the code for a specific arcade game. In the old days of arcades, manufacturers would program games on actual microchips. The game was never meant to change, and so programming them on ROMs made perfect sense. So if you were to open up one of those classic arcade machines, you would find circuit boards holding various chips, and that, in fact, would be the game. It's not from a disc or anything like that, unless you're talking about a game like Dragon's Lair, which in fact used Laserdisc technology, but that's beside the point. And those games were stored on read-only memory. However, EEPROM... EEPROM also includes the electronically erasable programmable part, right? So clearly, EEPROM is not exactly like traditional ROM. It is user-modifiable. Users can erase and reprogram individual bytes of data stored on EEPROM. This in itself was an evolution of single E, 
EEPROM, E-P-R-O-M. That was just erasable, programmable, read-only memory. And listener, if this is what you were referring to, my apologies. Uh, it means that you go further back than I anticipated. So uh, EEPROM actually was another form of PROM. That's programmable read-only memory. Uh, you might wonder what's the difference between EEPROM with a single E and EEPROM with a double E, and it really is that electronically erasable part. So with the old EEPROM chips, 1E, you could technically erase data that was stored on that chip. However, to do so, you first had to expose the chip to ultraviolet light for a good long while, like an hour. So imagine having to wait an hour in order to erase data that was stored on a chip so that you could write over it again. Obviously, that would not be viable for your average user. Data on a double E EEPROM, on the other hand, could be erased by applying a slightly higher than normal electrical voltage to the chip. Now, as you might imagine, that's way less work than exposing a chip to ultraviolet light. And it made EEPROM storage viable for specific applications, not yet to the point of a solid state drive. Now, before I jump into what makes Flash work, remember, Flash is kind of an evolution of EEPROM, uh, but let's, let's talk about the history of Flash. So EEPROM dates back a few decades, and Flash we can actually trace back to the mid-1980s. Dr. Fujio Masuoka, who was working for Toshiba, developed Flash memory. Masuoka said that the name Flash was actually suggested by a colleague, Mr. Shoji Arazumi, because Arazumi felt that the process of erasing stored data off the, the, the flash method was very similar to an old-school camera's flash. Now, I suspect that some of y'all out there might not have had that much experience with flash cameras because everyone's using their phones. And, I mean, some people have, like, the little LED flash on their phones, but it's totally different from the old flash cameras, which use capacitors to generate a very quick, very bright flash of light when you were taking a picture in low light situations. And flash cameras used to be huge. And of course, they still are being used in some settings, like professionals, of course, still use them. But a lot of, I think, the, a lot of the average people out there probably have had limited access to them if they are below a certain age. Uh, I'm of an age where I remember flash being like just standard on cameras. Like you really needed it or else any picture you took indoors was not going to come out properly. Anyway, the actual methodology for storing data on a flash drive was really clever. I'll talk about that more after we come back from this break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Okay, let's talk about how flash data is stored in the first place. Imagine you have a grid. So you've got columns and you've got rows. Uh, each box in this grid, each cell within that grid, has two transistors located at each of the intersections around it. One of those transistors is what we would call a floating gate transistor, which holds a charge inside it. The other is a metal oxide silicon, or MOS, transistor, and serves as the control gate. Uh, now, I guess I'm going to need to talk about gates as we're using floating gate and control gate. That doesn't really mean anything unless you dive a little further in. So gates are really, that's shorthand for logic gates. And this serves as the foundation for any circuitry system, uh, specifically digital systems. So with a logic gate, you've got a circuit that at has at least one input and it can't have more than one, but it has at least one, and it has only a single output. And what is being input and output in this case? Well, we're talking electric charges. Uh, these circuits provide specific functions, which we designate with names like AND, OR, NOT, NOR, NAND, and so on. Those names tell us how the gates behave and the output that they will produce based upon the type of input coming into the gate. For example, a simple AND gate might have two inputs, and we'll refer to these inputs as input A and input B. And it has a single output. Remember, all gates have a single output. We'll call the output X. There are four possible scenarios with this gate 
which we will represent using binary data or bits. That's, that is zeros and ones. So instead of talking about electric charges, we're going to talk about feeding zeros and ones to a logic gate through its inputs and what is generated as an output. Now you've got your AND logic gate, and let's say that you feed zeros to both input A and input B. Well, an AND gate will then produce a zero as the output. So output X will generate a zero. Now let's say that you feed a zero to input A and a one to input B to your AND gate. Well, the X output will still be zero. In fact, the only way that the X will equal one is if both A and B inputs are ones. That's why it's called an AND gate. The gate produces a one if all inputs going into the gate are also ones. And remember, like we're talking about a simple example here where we have two inputs, but you could have more than two inputs going into a single gate, but it would have to be all ones going into that gate for the gate to produce a one on the other side. With flash drives, we're talking about NOR or NAND architectures. So a NOR gate will only produce a one if all inputs going into the gate are at zero. So if input A is zero and input B is zero, then X will equal one. Uh, but with any other combination, like if you have all ones or a combination of zeros and ones going in as input, the output is going to be a zero. A NAND gate is a not AND gate. This will produce a one output in every single case except when all inputs are ones. So if you've got two or more zeros going into a NAND gate, you're going to get a one coming out. If you get a combination of ones and zeros, you're going to get a one coming out. If all the inputs are ones, you get a zero coming out. Now, these are the functions gates can serve, and you can actually program stuff by creating all these different logic gates in a, a various series in order to produce particular you know, outcomes. But let's talk about the gates themselves. So we're talking about transistors here. The transistors in electric circuits can serve as a type of switch, either allowing data to pass through or not. On one side of the transistor, you have the source, that is the place where input is coming from. And on the other side of the gate, you have the drain. That's the place where the output is going to. With a standard MOSFET transistor, a MOSFET stands for Metal Oxide Semiconductor Field Effect Transistor, you would open the gate or, you know, turn the switch on by placing a charge on the gate's electrode that would turn the semiconductor transistor into a conductor and allow electricity to flow through. Removing the charge from that electrode makes the semiconductor transistor behave like an insulator. That's the big deal with transistors. They can, depending on the situation, act either as a conductor or insulator. They can either allow a charge to move through or prevent it. All right, now let's talk about a floating gate transistor. That has an extra piece to it. The floating gate is electrically isolated from the rest of the transistor. Uh, that isolation is key because it means once you store a charge in a floating gate, that charge will stay there. And that's because the floating gate isn't connected to a drain where the charge could otherwise go. This gets a bit tricky to explain without visual aids, but I'll give it a go. All right, so with a flash drive, we've got your control gate, 
and we've got your floating gate and an intersection in this grid of rows and columns. The rows of the grid are the word line, and the word line goes through the control gate. With that link, the cell in flash memory holds the value of one. So by default, all the cells in flash memory are set to one, not to zero. To change any cell to the value of zero, you actually have to put in some work. So the rows are the word line. What then are the columns? Well, that's called the bit line. The bit line can carry a charge to the floating gate by pushing the charge through at a slightly higher voltage than what is used for the control gate. That's enough for electrons to bridge the gap of the otherwise isolated floating gate, and the floating gate will then hold a negative charge because electrons are negatively charged subatomic particles, and this process is called the Fowler-Nordheim tunneling process. The collection of electrons in the floating gate then becomes kind of a negatively charged force field between the floating gate and the control gate. A cell sensor monitors how much charge passes through the floating gate, and if the flow is above a certain threshold, the value of the cell is interpreted as a 1. If the value is below this threshold, the value within the cell is considered to be 0. So another way to think about it is that if the cell conducts a current, it's representing a 1. If it is acting more like an insulator, it's representing a 0. To return the cell value to 1, you have to apply a higher voltage electric field to the cell. And really, this process typically targets sections of the flash memory called blocks, particularly for the type of flash memory that we use frequently. Uh, and sometimes you might even have to target the entire flash chip itself. And boiled down, by controlling the voltage to the control and floating gates of the transistors on a solid-state drive, you can create the zeros that represent the data. Remember, it's by default, it's set at one. So really creating zeros is what is writing data to that. Otherwise, you just have, you know, a block of ones. So erasing flash memory really just means turning all the cells within the memory to one, and writing to flash memory really just turning means turning selective cells to zero. So let's say you're starting off with a byte of blank flash memory. Uh, that would be eight ones. So a byte is 8 bits, right? And we've established that a blank cell is a cell that's holding a 1 within it. Let's say you wanted to write a byte that is actually 0 followed by 7 ones. You could theoretically keep writing to that same byte. You could change, you could reprogram that byte by changing other ones in that series to zeros over time. You could not, however, change any zeros back to ones without erasing the entire byte, really without erasing the entire block that the byte is on. So you could write data in the form of 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 1, but you could not then go back to 0 followed by 7 ones without first erasing everything and starting over. <laughs> it gets a little confusing. Don't worry, it'll get more confusing. Uh, I should also mention there's also flash RAM, but that's a type of volatile memory, meaning if it does lose power, then any information stored within that memory is lost. This is the type of memory found in things like car radio systems, where you've maybe stored preset radio stations and such. So you might think, but my radio stations stay on even after I'm, you know, turn off the car and I get out and do whatever. But when your car is off, that system is still drawing a very tiny amount of power 
from your car's battery in order to maintain those settings. However, if your vehicle were to totally lose power, like let's say you had the battery completely removed, then you would lose that data and you would have to reset all your favorite stations. Okay, when we come back, we'll get into a little bit more detail about NAND versus NOR architectures because Flash comes in both. And we'll talk a bit more about how Flash is organized by architecture. Uh, Trust me, it actually is really interesting. It does get a bit complicated. Don't worry. I'm here with you every step of the way. But first, let's take a quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Okay, I mentioned earlier that Flash typically comes in NAND and NOR architectures. 
The NAND architecture is the one most of us have experience with. It's the type of memory used for SD cards, uh, USB flash drives, and computer solid state drives. NOR is usually used for storing digital configuration information. Uh, NAND flash has transistors in grid wired in series. NOR flash has its transistors or cells wired in parallel. That architecture does matter because with NOR, you can actually program at the byte level. You can write and rewrite at the byte level. With NAND, you have to do it at a much uh, larger level, which we'll get to in a second. And we're going to stick with NAND because, again, that's the type most of us interact with regularly. The organization of a NAND flash drive goes with cell, which is your individual unit, in which, you know, you're storing either a zero or a one, one by default. Next, you have strings, and as that name suggests, a string is a series of cells that are connected to one another, where the source of one cell connects to the drain of the next cell. One level up from strings, and you have pages. So a page is a collection of strings. A collection of pages makes up a block, and a collection of blocks connected through the same bit line makes a plane. Finally, you've got the flash die, which consists of one of or more planes, plus all the components that allow the drive to write, erase, and read data in those cells. Now, this arrangement allows the drive to read and write on a page level. So that's as far down as the read-write functions go is to the level of page. Remember, you have cells, strings, then pages. So read-write is at the page level. And, and uh, if you want to erase, you actually have to go up to the level of a block. So to erase data from a flash drive, you work in blocks. So let's say you've got some data that's stored within a block. And there's technically room for more data to be stored there, right? So let's say that half of that block is filled, but the other half is available. Well, you want to add more information to that block, but in order to do that, you can't just write the information to the end of the block. You would first need to erase the block. So the way this actually works is that first you would have a different block in the memory, which has been untouched. All the cells are set to one. So that block is effectively blank you would actually copy over the information in the partially filled block and you would store it in the new block and then you would add in the new data that you wanted to save at the end of that. So it's like you're writing, you're rewriting stuff that was already there and then writing the new information at the end of it. The old block, the one you pulled from, the one you copied, can then be erased. All the cells can be reset to one. Now this sounds messy, but I should add then when I say you have to do this, it's not actually you doing it. It's the computer. One drawback of flash memory is that it can wear out over time. Uh, it's not as big a deal now as it used to be, and it never was a huge deal, but it was something that you had to keep in mind. So you have a finite number of erase and write cycles, or program erase cycles, also known as PE cycles. See, when I think of PE cycles, I think of grade school and having to exercise. Ugh. But no, over, over time, the cells will wear out and they won't hold a written block of data properly. You can kind of think of it in the way that, um, that batteries have recharge cycles and they have a limited number of those, right? Like a, 
a battery's capacity to hold a charge decreases over time. And the more times you discharge and recharge a battery, uh, the closer you get to that, that level where the amount of energy it can store is no longer sufficient. Same sort of thing with flash drives. But again, these days flash has advanced to a point where it's likely that other components in your system are going to wear out or break before you ever have to worry about running up against the limitations of flash memory. Um, and that's for two reasons. One, the design of flash memory has improved over time so that they can uh, withstand more program erase cycles. And two, we've also been able to cram way more memory into a flash drive uh, over time. And so you don't have to erase as often because you've got so much space to use. Now, we all know, I mean, we should all know that when you create more space, uh, that doesn't mean that you suddenly have all the freedom in the world because if you have space, some, at some point you're going to find ways to fill it, right? Like I remember way back in the day <laughs> when I was very young, you know, hearing something about like uh, a computer that would come like with a, a 256 megabyte hard drive. And I was, I was, I was boggled. I was like, who would ever be able to fill up a hard drive that was as massive as 256 megabytes? That's just crazy. And of course, that's nothing now, right? Like we don't even think about that being uh, a, a, a significant amount of storage these days. You know, you probably have programs that are far larger than that. But at the time I thought, well, there's no way. Uh, which at this point, it doesn't matter how big the drive is. I know that someone's going to find a way to fill it up and probably way faster than I would anticipate. But these days, yeah, if you look at solid state drives, you can find them in the terabyte range, right? They're holding terabytes of data. And these things can be really small. It's fascinating to me how we've developed this technology. Uh, and it's due to things like the miniaturization of transistors that it's even possible, uh, along with the improvement in architecture, so that you could have this very dense storage system and a very small form factor uh, phenomenal to me that you can, you know, pop onto a store and buy a two terabyte solid state drive. Now, there are other benefits to solid state drives, to hard drives. You know, I mentioned before that they are not prone to being erased if you happen to be, you know, close to a large magnet. But there are other big benefits as well. A solid state drive has no moving parts in it. So it's not as delicate as a hard drive is. A hard drive, like a mechanical shock, as in dropping it and having it land on the, the floor, that could be enough to break it, right? It could unalign the platter so the platter is no longer in the proper plane, which means it won't turn properly. Uh, it could damage the read-write head. You could do physical damage to a hard drive relatively easily. I say relatively because I used to have an MP3 player that had a physical hard drive in it. And goodness knows I dropped it a couple of times and I was just fortunate that it was made exceedingly well and um, didn't immediately break the hard drive. But yeah, solid state drives are much more resistant to physical damage than hard drives are. 
Uh, they're also way faster because, again, you don't have moving parts. You don't have to spin a platter up to speed and move the read-write head to the proper physical location on the platter to read the information. Um, for that reason, you know, gamers really like solid-state drives because games will load much more quickly. Uh, you'll be able to load information from the drive to memory to be processed faster than you would with a physical hard drive. Again, when we start talking about what is it in your computer that makes it faster or slower, drive drive type is one of those factors. Not necessarily the most important one, but it is one of the factors. So I guess I will do an episode. Maybe next week I'll try and do an episode about what are the things that determine how fast or slow your computer is. Because uh, I think that would be a fun discussion to have. Anyway, that's kind of a lowdown on what flash memory is and how it works. Uh, like I said, it gets a little complicated to understand without the use of visual aids. Fortunately, there are tons of resources out there where you can learn more about this, including videos and papers and diagrams and such. Uh, there's a, an article on how stuff works, my old stomping grounds that explains how flash memory works. All of that could be really useful if you want to learn more. I highly recommend you look into it. Thank you so much for the suggestion. Remember, if you want to leave me a suggestion, you can do like this listener did and leave a message on the voice talkback feature on iHeartRadio app. Go to the tech stuff portion of iHeartRadio's app. Use that little microphone icon. You can leave a message up to 30 seconds in length. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter. The handle that we use is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.